This is the, the third week of this series that we're calling 12 Words, and, and we're walking through something called Essential Spirituality. And Essential Spirituality is uh, trying to get at the essence of what is religion for? What is faith for? Uh, I think that it has a specific reason and for a lot of us, if we just start with the idea and Jesus' words in John 10.10, 10, which is what we've been doing every week, Jesus says, I've come so that you should have life and have it to the full. And so my premise and my thought here is like faith and spirituality, according to Jesus, is to give us life. That is the point of it. And so what we need to realize is that there's some practices and maybe even some spirituality that, that we would, that we've experienced that we would say, you know what, actually I've done some things that did not feel like they gave me life. And I would say, well, maybe those things are not necessarily what essential spirituality is. Essential spirituality, I'm going to throw out, are the practices and the steps and the moves that we make to give us life. Because that is what Jesus came to do. And life does not start when we die, when we go to heaven. Life According to the Bible and according to Jesus, life starts now in this moment. But uh, I want to kind of unpack this a little bit uh, because, you know, there's this strange tension that we have in faith and spirituality in, in the sense that Jesus has come and he's given us his, his love and, and we can sing things like, it is well with my soul. And there's a, a certain objective quality that God just gives to us and he says, look, I am, I am offering you life, but uh, we have to do some things and arrange our lives in such a way to experience that life, okay? It's not unlike electricity. This is a great metaphor that I heard years ago. Like, you can be in a room that is literally, uh, like, electricity is flowing through the room. It's in the outlets. It is all present and you can even see some evidence of electricity in other places. But if you are in a room with a lamp that is not turned on, you do not experience the electricity until you what? You make a move. You throw the switch. And that's what faith and spirituality, that's something sometimes that we miss. Is that we're like, oh, there's this thing. God gives us his love. He gives us life. But we forget that we sometimes have to get up off of our butts a little bit and make some kind of move and do something to go flip a switch to say, oh, that thing that's out there, now I actually experience it. Faith is like electricity that is flowing through a room. And we can sit there and we can say, I know there's electricity in this room. I know it's there. I can even see other lights on. But if I want to experience it, I have to do some things in my life to let that be experienced for me. Does that make sense to everybody? Cool. So uh, just to back up a little bit, um, we have started to talk about these critical moves, essential moves in spirituality. And uh, just to go back through the weeks, the, the first move, the first concept we have to embrace is that we're powerless, we surrender control, we then uh, acknowledge that we have hope in God, that he can help us in our powerlessness. And then last week we talked about trust, which was a great week to talk about trust. It was a, sort of a, one of those Sundays that had a little tension in it. 
but we talked about what it means to trust God and what it means to trust God is to act on those beliefs. If we believe certain things about God, we have to take that step of faith, right? And step out either uh, to jump into the swimming pool or to, I use the zip line analogy. And so we, that brings us to this fourth move and fourth concept that we have to embrace. And what I want to do is before we introduce it, I want to read some words from an early church leader, an early Christian, one of the first followers of Jesus. It was a guy named Paul. And I want to read some words that he wrote to another young believer, a guy named Timothy. He wrote a letter to him, and he wrote, he wrote these words, and I want to use it to set up the, the move that we need to make for this week. Paul says this. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. So Paul has been uh, sort of captured by God, and he is now serving God in this role of, of preacher and messenger. And then he says this in, in verse 13. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, right? So let me give you some context here. If you don't know Paul's story, when Paul says, like, hey, I was a persecutor and a violent man, he's not talking about uh, sort of conceptual violence. He's not talking about, like, oh, I was a really bad person or I had a really bad temper. Paul was actually a persecutor of the early church. So Paul was a, a Jewish leader, a rabbi. And as these other Jewish believers started to say, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus from Nazareth is the Messiah. Like that was the central hope of the Jewish people. But Paul and some of the other uh, religious leaders of Judaism, they're like, no, no, there is no way that carpenter from Nazareth was the Messiah. And they pushed back hard because from their perspective, these people that followed Jesus were twisting the faith. And I don't know if you've ever been around like, you know, people who take their faith super seriously. And they're like, we need to go out and defend our faith from these people that are starting to call themselves eventually Christians. And so Paul says, look, I'll do it. And you read, you can read these accounts other places in the Bible where actually there's a there's a Christian guy named Stephen. And Stephen is like, no, Jesus is the Messiah. And the early Jewish folks, they're like, no. And they took it so seriously that they, they had him executed by, by stoning, which is literally like they just would start, you know, knock the person over and then just start dropping rocks on them until they crushed their body and, and killed them. And the text in the Bible says that Paul... The guy who wrote this letter, Paul was standing there giving approval to Stephen's death. This is the right thing to do. Kill him. And he held everybody's cloaks as they were doing it. And then he actually went further and he said, you know what? We really need to stamp out these followers of Jesus. So he goes to the leaders of uh, the, the rest of the religious leaders in Jerusalem and he says, give me permission to go hunt them down. So he hunts them down. The, the text says he terrorizes the church. He was like literally a terrorist in terms of the Christian faith, right? But he's on his way to actually go rescue some people. And he rescued men, women, children, or not rescue. He persecuted men, women, children. 
Nobody was exempt. But he's on his way to do that, and he encounters Jesus in this powerful way and turns his life upside down. So I say that to say that when Paul writes, look, I was a blasphemer, and I was a persecutor, and I was a violent man. That's not clever poetic language. That's really who he was. Then he goes on and he says this. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So the word for this week and the move that we have to make this week is the move of self-honesty. It's the move of self-honesty. It's the move that Paul makes when he says, let me tell you exactly what I have done. I mean, can you imagine, like, again, there's stories of the Bible where Paul walks into, like, a Christian gathering, and he's like, hey, guys, guess what? I'm on your team now. <laughs> and the response of the believers are like, uh, wait a minute. Does anybody know who this guy is? But you see in this word, like, like if it was me, I would be inclined to want to hide that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you really kind of want to like, oh, I, let's not talk about that. That, was not, that wasn't Paul. That was uh, my twin brother, you know. But Paul just names it, self-honesty. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, so what I want to do is kind of um, just unpack these statements about self-honesty as we go deeper because it's, it's, a, it's a, a critical move that we have to make, but it's not necessarily easy. And so here's the way I would start by saying I would, say, I would say that self-honesty is a tool that we can use to right-size ourselves in the world. Self-honesty is a tool that we can use to right-size ourselves in the world. You know, like we started off and we said, remember, we're powerless, but God is powerful. And self-honesty, what it does is it keeps us in that correct relationship to God. I'm not God. Somebody else is God. But... We have to kind of employ devices to help us keep that dialed in. I don't know if you're anything like me. I have a tendency, even though I can say, oh, yeah, God's God and I'm not, I can find in my life that somehow I, some, I start to elevate myself back up to that status again. Well, I look at Paul's words and he's like, man, he named, he named the stuff inside him and he wasn't afraid of it. How do you do that? You know, how do you do that? I mean, I've got stuff inside me. I know a lot of you have stuff inside you. You have stuff in your past. And it's not fun, but we can do it. So, uh, so that's where we're going today. And we're just going to revisit that statement about self-honesty. But, but what I want to talk to you guys now is I want to talk to you guys now about garage sales. Anybody ever have, like, like who has, like, uh, garage sale stories? Either because, like, you were a kid and that's what your parents just drug you out. My grandmother did that for me. Really, I'm the only person? Thanks a lot, guys. 
Like, don't, don't be shy. Like, I know some of you guys would probably be at my house if I told you I was having a garage sale. I'd see some of you there at 6.30 knocking on my door. Is the sale started yet? No, it hasn't started yet. Um, but we all have experienced some kind of aspect of this garage sale. Either you've been on one to go buy stuff or you've had one. And so what I want to talk to you more about is like what it's like to have a garage sale. Because in a way, there's nothing better to figure out like what you own and what is in your house than by like having a garage sale and starting to take that stuff out and, and label it for selling. So like I just grabbed some stuff from my, from my house, right? And so this is like a little bag, like pretend I was selling this stuff. I'm not, do not come up and offer me things for this. And don't steal it. This is like a portable, like, wine and picnic, you know, bag. Hold some bottles of wine, a little cutting board for cheese. You know, you might be like, you, you go through your closet, and you're like, I haven't used this thing in, like, six years. Why do I have it around anymore? Um, if you were at my house, you would know that you would encounter more than a couple books. And uh, you would normally put books out for sale, right? You just go to the bookshelf, oh, I haven't read that book, or I read it, I don't need it anymore. And so... You start to go through your house, so to speak, and you just start looking at the things that either you don't need anymore or that you don't know why you got in the first place. Here's, here's, this is great. Don't know why I have these, but okay. Um, or just things that are laying around, you know, like this is cool, right? This is like, anybody like this? Maybe make me an offer on this. This is a, like fire leather jacket right but here's the deal like as we go through our stuff this is kind of like the journey of self-honesty because we really in self-honesty we take a we take a journey through our own selves our own house our emotional our spiritual house and we start looking at things and we just kind of start going like why do I have that thing still around in my house because like in you know in this I don't know in this case like I don't you know like it's a little stein from Germany right and it's cool and all but I don't know what purpose it serves and you start to kind of get a feel for like what I carry around in my house every day and when we take a look inside ourselves it's the same way when we really pause we look inside our lives, our emotional lives, and we're like, I don't know why I have this stuff. You know, I don't know why, like, I, I, I'm an angry person. Why am I an angry person? It does, does it really help me? And some of us, we just don't want to make that pause. But again, when you look at a guy named Paul, he's like, no, self-honesty is about naming the stuff and looking at the things I carry around in my life. And so, like a little picture of Jesus, you know, some shoes. And so here's the way I would say it, like to add on to our little statement, to build on it a little bit. We start by being honest about the stuff that lives in our emotional and spiritual house. We just start by going through our lives. You know what? I have a temper. You know what? I mean, who knows what your thing might be? You know what? Um, 
I don't do friendships very well. You know what? Like, truth be told, like, I shop too much. I don't know what that thing is for you, but, but when we start, when we go on the journey and when we go on the, take the move of self-honesty, it's just a matter of saying, I'm going to be honest with myself about the things in my life that are there. And some of those things, some of those things, like I've had them around for a while and maybe they helped me for a while, but now I don't need them anymore, but yet they're still there in my house. And so the first thing I have to do is just name it. Again, I'm angry. I spend too much money. Um, I spend too much time watching television. I, I post things on Facebook I have no business posting on Facebook because I know they don't do any good to anybody. But I can't stop, right? Could be anything. But here's where it gets really, really interesting. Because if you've ever had a garage sale, uh, you know, you go through and you find all the obvious stuff that's kind of like in your closet or in your garage. But then if you really want to have a good garage sale, you got to go the next level. You got to dig a little deeper. And so in my life, you know, maybe, maybe then you go to like your sock drawer. That's, that's where, and you start pushing aside your socks and you're like, you're like, oh man, like I find like a little, you know, thing in there. Like this is a, called a, a prayer rope, you know, and you find things that you thought, well, I didn't even know I had that, you know, from my world. Again, maybe it's an effects pedal. You don't stop at the obvious things when you're doing self-honesty. You got to pause and go, I found the easy stuff. Let's go deeper. And what I want to do before I talk about this any, any more is I want to show you a, just a clip from a movie uh, that, that really gets at the idea of why you go deeper. And I want to give you sort of the spoiler alert. We go deeper because even though this stuff might not be um, readily apparent to us, even though I may have forgotten about something that I have in my sock drawer, when you're talking about emotional stuff and spiritual stuff, it still affects you. So this is a clip from uh, the, the first Jason Bourne movie. So just take a look at this as we watch it. I'm not making this up. These are real. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I come in here, and the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. I see the exit sign too, I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing stuff when they're scared. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? How can I know all that stuff and not know who I am? I think that is so poignant because I think when you start talking about self-honesty, we all have that similar thing. Like, like we are all sort of Jason Bourne in this, in this sense. 
Because all of us say, you know, why do I fly off the handle when my significant other asks me to do this? Why do I behave that way? I don't know, but I do. You know, why do I react this way to this situation with my boss? I don't know why, but I do. And when you go to the next level of self-honesty, when you just are saying, okay, I got the easy stuff, but let's go deeper. And let me tell you about what that means. It's because one way I would put it is that most of our stuff, there are stories behind our stuff. Most of my stuff out here, there is a story behind that stuff that gets at some of the ugliness in my life. And when you really dig deep and you like look at your house, the, um, the emotions we have, the reactions we have, they say something about usually our brokenness and our stories. So like for me, I'll tell you like, so these, these shoes, these are just shoes. This is out of my house. This is just stuff I have. It could be anything. But there's a story behind these shoes because I know, I know these shoes represent a desire in my mind and a need in my mind to be fashionable. You see, these, these are shoes. To, to you, they might just be shoes, but to me, these are Clark's. And, and there's a name, and, and, and I wanted them. And let me tell you why I wanted them. I wanted them because I have a fear of financial failure. And so I, I am able to like go, and, and when I had the resources, I could say, oh, you know what, I've got these, and, and they're just shoes, but there's really actually a story behind them because what they really get at is I wanna make myself feel good about where I'm at financially. I, I could show you this thing, this thing that's a, a prayer rope, right? And it's, uh, this comes out of the Eastern Orthodox tradition. And, you know, it, it, to you, it's just a prayer rope. And, and it's used to say, like, something called the Jesus Prayer and to just kind of help you pray. And, um, but here's what it gets at in my mind. It gets at in my life. The story behind this thing is it's, it's more than just a rope. This represents, for me, a long season in my life when I was more interested in religious techniques than I was about getting real with God. And so I was always looking for the next gadget, religious gadget, spiritual gadget, book, worship experience that would make me feel good about myself and fool myself into thinking that I was growing instead of getting real with God and just saying, I don't trust you enough. You know, we all have these things. Like if you just like to look at, would you, if you looked at the stuff in your house, whether it was literally some of the stuff in your physical house or your emotional house, you would say, you know what? This represents some broken areas in my life. This picture of Jesus, this represents for me some regrets I have about broken relationships in my life because a friend drew this for me. And that relationship broke. I haven't been able to fix it. And we all have this stuff inside of me. It's a journey of self-honesty about just looking at the things that we have in our lives, the reactions we have, uh, sometimes physical stuff, and going, this is what is wrong with me. This is who I am. You want to see who a person is, go to a garage sale. But you also want to see who a person is, like let them share their junk with you, right? That's when things get real. So here's the way I would add on to our little statement. 
Um, we have to be honest about the stuff that lives in our emotional house. Our stuff has a deeper meaning. You see, my anger isn't just my anger. My anger tells a story about me. It tells about a need that I don't have in my life. Your, your tendency to isolate yourself from your family and friends is not just about your isolation. It says something about a fear inside you or a desire inside you that is not getting met. This is the journey of self-honesty. So, uh, the thing that keeps us from being self-honest, I, I just want to tell you, is, is, our, is our pride. It's our pride. We don't want to be honest with what's in our house, do we? And, and really, I want to I kind of unpack this a little bit because pride has a very obvious expression and a not-so-obvious expression. The first obvious expression of pride is self-righteousness and arrogance. So you, do you know anybody who's never admitted that they've done anything wrong? Maybe you're sitting next to them right now. <laughs> do you know anybody that's just like, no, never done anything wrong in my life? You know? That is an example, sort of an extreme example of self-righteousness. Um, Leo Tolstoy wrote War and Peace. He said this way, an arrogant person considers himself perfect. This is the chief harm of arrogance. It interferes with a person's main task in life, becoming a better person. You're not going to improve if you never admit you've done anything wrong. I don't have anything to fix. And if we're honest, like we, we seldom would know anybody who's entirely self-righteous, but you might have an area of your life where you're like, no, I've never done wrong in this area. Just a real quick example. I was just reading this week of... A guy who has some reputation for being pretty self-righteous and arrogant. His name was Steve Jobs, timely. Apple just, admit, just released his new iPhone. Anybody ever heard some of the stories of, of Steve Jobs' self-righteous arrogance? You know, he was not a nice man in many areas of his life. He had somebody who approached him early on and said, you've got a daughter. And he said, I refuse to recognize I refuse to recognize her as my daughter. I won't. Now, he had a change of heart later, but for a long time he was like, no. And, and let me be clear, it was his daughter. He's like, I don't know, I'm not gonna deal with it. He once uh, went to a Whole Foods uh, grocery store and an elderly woman was making him a smoothie and he took the opportunity to kind of tell her all the ways that she was doing it wrong. He went to a five-star hotel in London a five-star hotel in London, walked into the room. Uh, his friend had gone over. He walked out of the room, said, my room is a piece of junk. Didn't use that word. Walked down to the front desk, say, let me tell you why your room's a piece of junk. I'm leaving this hotel. Get me out of here. He was the very picture of arrogance. And you can never go on this journey if you're not just willing to say, I may not be perfect. And if you think you're perfect, just ask your spouse. Ask your family, ask your friends. I'm being serious. Because we might literally sit down and go, I don't think I have anything to work on. Ask somebody else. And then be open to hearing the truth. But that's not the only way pride works on us. Because pride works on us on the flip side in shame. Because a lot of us, you see, are, are afraid to go on this journey because 
what's going to come up is saying is this language that says, of course, I, I do all these things because I'm a rotten person. And there's a voice inside us that's been, that's, that was given to us early on that says, never admit that you've done anything wrong because if you admit that you've done something wrong, that that means you're a bad person. Well, the bad news is that is just another aspect of pride. Because remember what we said? We started this journey to say, we're just trying to be right-sized. And, and right-sized means just kind of having the accurate view of yourself. Self-righteousness is an easy one. Well, yeah, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm also not the worst person in the world. Anything that walls yourself off from, from humility and, and just being right-sized is an aspect of pride because it says, I am special. You can f- believe that you're special by believing you're the worst person in the world. You ever heard that? Ever thought about that? That's not the truth of who you are. That's not the truth of who you are. Again, look at Paul's language in 1 Timothy again. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. It deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. And shame would say, period. That's it. It stops. I'm the worst. But he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 16, because I was the worst, I was shown mercy. So that in Christ Jesus, he can display his patience as an example. And then in the earlier text, he says, look, I was a violent person, but God loves me. The formula for humility when you're talking about self-honesty is basically to say, look, I don't need to be ashamed. Yes, I've done bad things. We all have. But God's love is infinite and radical. So I can actually name the things that I can name in my life because I know God loves me. I'm a good man loved by God who has done awful things sometimes. And that's true of every single one of us in here. We are good people loved by God who have sometimes done bad things. We admit it because we're not self-righteous, but we also admit it because shame is not going to get us where we need to go. If I have to belabor this just a little bit more, let me just say it this way in regards to humility. Being right-sized and humble doesn't mean having a low opinion of yourself. It means having no opinion of yourself. It's self-forgetfulness. It is being a person that is so focused on God's love and so focused on serving others that you don't even have time to think about yourself because you're just like... I'm just here for God and I'm just here for other people. That's a humble person. They don't sit and think about how good my shoes make me look or how smart my books make me look. They're just like, I'm just here because of God's love and I'm here to serve other people. So as we close, I want to wrap up with kind of two sort of um, two keys that I want to give you. Uh, The first When you're going on this journey of self-discovery, the first thing you have to do is you have to focus on the promise. What has Jesus come here to do? What did he come to give us? Life. He came to give us life. He didn't come to shame us. He didn't come to beat us up. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not difficult to be honest, but it does mean that Jesus is not a, a part of like making you feel rotten about yourself. He's just saying, 
you got to right-size yourself, and you got to name what's in your house. What is the junk that I've brought into this world and I've carried around with me? It's time to be honest. So focus on the promise that he gives us and focus on the love of God. There's nothing you can ever do that will separate you from the love of God in Jesus. It, there's nothing. I don't know about you, but when I read, again, those words that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, look, I want to be as honest as I can. I have done awful things in my life. But I look at those words, and I'm like, Paul had literal, almost literal blood on his hands to the very people that he was now preaching to. And I asked myself, have I, have I gone that far? And by the grace of God, no. I don't have blood on my hands. If Paul can make that statement, then I guess I can. And I guess you can. But we just have to be willing to go on the journey. Focus on, focus on the life that God is promising us and focus on the love of God. So the band's going to come up and they're going to play a song. I've got one more statement to add to our little catalog of, of self-honesty it would look like this just in terms of the the it's the fourth thing ron the thing with the four statements god's radical love for us helps us confront the difficult parts of our lives and frees us up to be right-sized people as i would as i would put it and as i've said to people repeatedly hey you've done bad things welcome to the human race welcome to the human race being right-sized just means acknowledging that we're not perfect. So, you know, every week we've been doing some kind of response and invitation. Uh, sometimes we're having you guys write stuff on, on these uh, boards. We're not going to do that today because this is actually a really long process. So, I have uh, crafted or just kind of adapted um, some questions to help you with this. And they're up here. They're also available on my E3. I only have a certain number of hard copies. There's only about 25. If you are technology, technologically adept, could you please download it, download the PDF, leave this for those of us who are like, I'm, I don't even know what a right click is. Um, but as the band plays, look, so if you see in my E3, see that group that says Our Church up at the top of that list on the right? If you click on that link, there's a little link in there that says Files, It'll be right there. This is the type of thing it's going to take hours to do. You got to get alone. And you got to take some time. So it's weird to kind of be doing this. We don't have the time to do it right now. But right-sizing yourself lets the sunlight of God's spirit into your life. It just names the thing that we've done. So um, if you need a, a, one of these hard copies, come up as the band plays. I'm going to pray. And there, we're just going to sing a song that reminds us of God's love and his attachment to us and his faithfulness to us. So let's all stand together. I would pray.